Hello and a warm welcome to the first ever Institute of Environmental Management and Assessment podcast. I'm Sarah Mukherjee, the Institute's CEO, and I'll be your host for Greening the News. The Institute, known to its friends as IEMA, provides support, training and development for 17,000 members in more than 100 countries. We also develop policy to make the change our members want to see at UN, regional and national level. When we were thinking of what subject to talk about in this first edition, something that would have relevance and resonance to our members and audiences around the world, well, there was really only one subject that has had overwhelming international impact, and that is the pandemic. The national responses have been as varied as there are countries on the planet. Even now, some are facing a third wave of the virus, whilst others are beginning to see some light at the end of the tunnel through vigorous vaccination rollouts. We thought we would have a fascinating conversation if we brought two of our brightest and most articulate speakers together to talk about two very different responses to the pandemic in the UK and in Aotearoa, New Zealand. The two governments' reactions in the last year have sometimes seen like a mirror image of each other, with some of the highest and some of the lowest mortality rates in the world, respectively. But what has it been like to live and work through the pandemic in these two countries, and how are they approaching building back better for a safer, more sustainable future? Well, joining me today from Team UK is our Director of External Affairs and Deputy CEO, Martin Baxter, who has more than two and a half decades, yes, count them, experience of working in the environment and sustainability space. And we're also joined by Alec Tang, the Chair of our New Zealand Network and recently appointed as Director of Sustainability at the Kayang Ora, the government agency tasked with housing and urban development across Aotearoa, New Zealand. Well, thanks, Sarah. And I think, you know, it's been unprecedented times and it's felt like a, a gigantic experiment um, to be on the, if you like, on the receiving end. Nobody would have expected that over 12 months into that first lockdown, we would all still be working from home as OIMA. Um, so that's that's been interesting in its own right. I think it's been fascinating to see the way in which people have changed behaviour, and, and and that's something that you know from a sustainability perspective and tackling climate change, really getting a, an insight into um, just what a, a a significant number of people can do to do things differently, um, and so you know. Looking at how the government has responded, it's you know very clear early on they just didn't know what was happening, um, and that lack of data and information about you know the spread, um, the rate of infection, what the consequences were going to be, how that was going to then relate into people's health and jobs and all of that you know unprecedented times, and then we had what you might call a lull as we got to the summer and things started to kind of be released a little bit and then go back and almost you think, did we really learn from that first experience? Yeah, it's been really interesting, Sarah. And and I suppose we've been uh, fortunate and the moniker that you probably heard was was from our prime minister was very much go fast, go early or go hard, go early. Um, and, and we've seen the benefits of that, obviously lots of other factors to play. but 
Um, we, you know, I think back to maybe actually just over a year ago where we had our first lockdown um, and pretty significant, just everything, everything shut down. And, um, and as you've said, over the last year, we've seen the benefits of that approach. You know, we've, we've had a number of um, incidences where we've had to go back and, and come forward. But actually, that transition into what was what is a, a kind of a new way of working has been has been really good, but not as I guess not as severe as you guys have found now. Um, and and the role that I take, uh, we we talk to a whole bunch of other cities around the world, and um, and it has been interesting, you know, literally to the effect that we can do face to face workshops with with people at the moment, whereas um, colleagues overseas have have had to do everything still remotely. So it's been it's been very interesting, and and it's had some really interesting implications for our transition. And and as you were saying at the start, what approach do we take to to building that because effectively some of the impetus that we that you you have overseas um, may not necessarily be as strong over here, which is really interesting. So, Alec, what do you think this means for sustainability professionals? I mean, I know that you're you've been doing some thinking um, in the community, and I yeah, it's it's really you. interesting, Sarah. So, just literally this week. Um, um, the Sustainable Business Council and the Sustainable Business Network, alongside um, the AUT University and a, and a consultancy, Oxygen, released the findings of a survey on sustainability professionals in Aotearoa, New Zealand, over the past year, so through that pandemic. And it was really interesting to see some of the results about, you know, actually businesses um, maintaining that sustainability focus. Um, and actually what we're seeing is that sustainability professionals are working increasingly in that strategy space. So not just managing environmental programs or not just delivering those kind of things, but actually helping businesses think about, well, what does it mean for them and how does that evolve or how does that evolution of business model happen? And it's kind of interesting, uh, Martin, you were talking earlier about, you know, what do, what do we do and, and, and what's the, you know, what's the future going to have to be in terms of a more social, more people orientated or organizations? And I think that's something that as sustainability professionals, we're going to have to test that and challenge that. And one of the things that I, um, we talked about, we had, a, we had a, a, another session yesterday where we kind of said, well, what does that mean? What are the skills that sustainability professionals need? And the survey really highlighted the, the importance of softer skills. Obviously, you know, we can bring in technical expertise, but actually as a, as a sustainability manager or, or, or similar within an organization, you need to be able to, to test and to challenge. And that concept of challenging the organization was, was quite a, an interesting and informative um, um, skill that we're going to have to need to build. Um, so, you know, we had collaboration, which is great. We bring people together, but we also need to go, well, actually, people are thinking we need to do things differently. We want to do things differently. We want to have greater purpose in our roles. Um, but what is it that we need to do and how do we do that? And so it's really interesting, this evolution of what what it means to be the sustainability person within an organization. That I think that's a really interesting point, isn't it, Martin? That move from getting the job done and really being on top of the technical brief, which, of course, you still have to do, but also as the C-suite, as the CEO and the CFO begins to get more interested in an organization in sustainability, being able to provide that strong narrative um, and do maybe sometimes to have skills that you wouldn't expect to have as a sustainability professional, that storytelling um, to, to make a really strong case for a particular measure in an organization. Do you think we're seeing that in the UK as well? 
Definitely. And I think I mean, it's interesting when I when I think to the OIMA sustainability skills map and the what I would call the outer ring, which is all about how do you drive change and how do you make things, how, how can you do things differently? And what are the skills and attributes that you need to be able to blend with that technical capability? So the ability to uh, reframe problems and you know, problem solving and looking at things from different perspectives, which is a skill that we've you know, from an OIMA perspective, you would look for, has really come into its own. And, you know, building on what Alex said, you know, that 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 really helps organizations that have been really struggling is to think, you know, well, how are you going to succeed going forward? There's big change going in terms of business models, the way in which society is responding, the way in which the economy is responding. Um, so so that, that blend of skills with soft skills and technical skills is really important. And it's been great to see, you know, we, we, yeah, we, well, we've put on this, um, the how-to series in OIMA, and I mean, it's been an absolute rip-roaring success as people, you know, have really cottoned on to the fact that, you know, how can I build a broader portfolio of capability, which can be deployed in different contexts, in different ways to deal with different circumstances, and it's really encouraging. And, and Martin, just if I just jump in, because I think um, a point you made earlier and, and something that's really interesting here in, in Aotearoa is I feel like there's almost a reflective a, re, a, a reflective phase we're going through, both individually and organizations, where people are going, well, what do I want to do? You know, we've had a, a big pause, um, but what is the role I want to play and what is the role I want to take? And I'm seeing among my peers, lots of people like branching out, going to do their own thing. Um, and, and a lot more like businesses saying, well, what's the gap? You know, where's the impact? How do I do that? And so you've got a lot of this reflection and actually I want to do more. And there is a need to kind of help that happen. And we talked, I, 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 I talked about, um, you know, there's a lot of people who want to get into sustainability. And, and the way that I couched it is actually as sustainability professionals, we need to help pull people in as well. And this concept of collaboration is like, well, I'm I'm here trying to drive some change. Actually, I need some financial expertise. So I'll, I'll talk to the CFO and bring some of his team along. I might talk to the people in performance or the HR team and bring them in. And, and there's actually a now a need not just to kind of um, see that happen, but actually enable it to happen as well within organizations. And so this broader role of, of sustainability away from technical to actually helping that organization or helping people make that shift to a broader and a, a kind of a systems level um, view of change almost. Of course, um, Martin mentioned the how-to series of webinars which we put on for our graduate and student members or people in the first stages of their career to to give them, as he said, those practical skills. It's interesting, isn't it, that the, and I'm wondering if this is the case in Aotearoa, New Zealand as well, that the, um, that the younger generation mm. that you know I, I think I'm, I'm so old you know but you know, <laughs> under 30s you know who are coming into the world of work are much more values driven and they don't yeah. just want to make a buck they want to make sure that they're doing it in a sustainable and ethical way a hundred percent hundred percent and and interestingly and and we can uh, share the results of the survey from new zealand um there's a the the, the proportion of professionals who who Kind of, and, and it's interesting who self-declare a sustainability. I self-declare. I've got my inverted comma fingers up. Um, because <laughs> um, the, the the quadrant of younger professionals was 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 probably the second biggest between like I think it was under 30s and then 30 to 40. 
those were the two biggest quadrants. And there's, um, so I, I for my for my sins, I, I lecture at, at one of the universities here as well. And the passion of the younger, like graduates coming through, the desire to do more um, impactful work is really clear in in the papers that they pick and the futures that they're trying to generate. And one of the interesting things we talked about was how connected our younger um communities or younger generations are they already they've, they've grown up in this world of, um, of of networking effectively in different guises different forms so they already have some of those soft skills that we talk about and an understanding that to drive the system changes that we need to see isn't an individual thing it is about how do you pull others together so so it's quite I mean it's 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 really um, it's really a positive like um, I, I feel really encouraged by that and it's, as I said, it's how do we help um, uh, harness that energy, that enthusiasm, that desire to make a change and, and help them kind of understand some of the organisational context. And, and one of the points that, that was made um, at the launch of this report was um, sometimes, and it's great, the enthusiasm, sometimes, um, sometimes there's a we'll do this, we'll do that and we'll batter down the door. Um, but not quite getting how it's it, it would be more effective to get through that door rather than just battering it down maybe there's a different way of getting through the door so it's kind of it's 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 really exciting um to see that happen through you know this passion that that there is this latent passion yeah and and that passion uh, martin that you know there have been some global figures like Greta Thunberg and David Attenborough who have really begun to um, to mobilize and, and catch the mood of, of wanting to change and wanting to make a positive difference to the planet. Do, do you think that um, we as sustainability professionals ha- have really got with that program? Is it sometimes difficult to, to, to read across from the passion and the desire to make a change into, uh, you know, sometimes a more staid world of business? Yeah, and, and it can sometimes be difficult. I think, you know, you'll see a lot of sustainability professionals who've been hard at this for quite a long time and you know, they've got the scars on the forehead from banging their head against the wall <laughs> as they try to you know, break down those barriers to senior senior teams. And I think, but I do feel that we're at the cusp of a, a much bigger and more profound change. Um but from a, a number of things. So one is those, you know, those those global icons who are really helping to make this mainstream in a way that we've never been able to do. Um, and I think that's fantastic. And for us to be able to ride on the back of that um, and bring that into organisations and act as enablers and catalysts for that change is, you know, is a real opportunity. And I think building on that point from Alex around you know that the 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 emotional connection that young people have to building a better future and when you align that with the technology and you know the the future of work could be significantly different than it is now you know so i see people you know possibly yeah a lot more people with portfolio careers and being able to dip out Mm -hmm. and dip into work in a much more fluid way than we do now in terms of you work for one organization, you're in a structure, you're in a, not quite a straitjacket, but um, a lot more freedom for people to explore how they can make a contribution. Um, and that can ebb and flow as their 
their, their own interests and passions move forward. Of course, that can be um, very enabling. It can also be, in some cases, very constraining. I mean, we've seen the downside of the, the gig economy and perhaps bringing us back just for some final thoughts to where we started with the Build Back Better. Um, um, Alec, I, I don't know, it'd be interesting to know how much a feature that gig economy, that working sometimes, you know, in a very fragile system, um, for, for, particularly for young people, um, I don't know how much of a part of your of the, your economy in Aotearoa, New Zealand is, but do, do you think that you know, there are benefits, but there are you know, concerns that we have to bear in mind when we're building back better? Uh, look, I, I think, yes, the, the, there's huge opportunity um, and, 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 and potential to do do different. To, to, and, and fundamentally, that's what we, we need to do. We need to, we can't, um, you know, it's that classic, we were, um, the, the talk about the coronavirus or COVID crisis, we were already in a crisis before COVID came along. You know, we were in a climate crisis. And and so, um, you know, the recognition that actually we cannot just go back to where we were. We need to do things differently. From a from a Tamiki Makoto Auckland perspective, you know, transport was is 40% of our emissions, um, our consumption emissions. So we cannot continue to travel around the city the way that we've done. And different ways of working is going to be critical to that. Um, and understanding, and, and one of the positives that I like to hope that we have learned through the through our experience is that we cannot do things in isolation and that the, the only way that actually we we went through we managed to continue fairly well through our lockdowns is because we were reliant on the grocery delivery drivers we would rely on the postal service the nurses and some workers that potentially we had never actually thought about prior to lockdown um, and that collective need is really important Back to your point about the gig economy, I think, um, you know, technology is one of those things that we're going to need to uh, build into our into our lives. Um, is this concept of how do we make sure we make that bridge, but in a fair and equitable manner? And we haven't really talked about that much, but, but you know, knowing there are people like us who have been able to work remotely, work from home, but there are many who haven't. And, and can't and how do we bring those people through how do we recognize like manufacturing sectors and so on what does the future of those sectors look like um, particularly if we are going to see more uh, consumption you know how do we make sure that consumption isn't delivering those environmental impacts that we know it can do if we don't think about it carefully and uh, and Martin, I mean, you know, very, very similar, I guess, uh, in the UK, uh, it has really brought home to so many people that the, the factory workers, the shop workers, the postmen, the delivery guys, the care home and nursing staff who have worked so magnificent, magnificently through this, uh, this terrible time um, are perhaps, you know, surprisingly and astonishingly in some cases, underpaid and undervalued until until very recently yeah and i think you know there has to be at some point a reset about how we value people's contribution um and it's not just in a purely economic um, context but it's also the social value that people are providing and you know this has been a really sobering reminder of just how fragile uh our social systems as well as our economic systems are and um, and i think mm. there's there's a lot that has to be done to bring that into um you know, uh, uh, 
a really kind of an appropriate way in which we value people and, and, and the work that they do. Um, and, and so reframing that and, and having a proper conversation within, you know, within the country um, about how we do that, I think that's going to be really important going forward. Uh, just one uh, final thought, if I may, from you. And thank you so much for a fascinating conversation. Um, you know, we, we we are sustainability professionals and environment professionals. We we always think that you know we can save the planet and save the world. And uh, you know, we're going about that exact, exactly the right way. We're taking the right steps. So, um, you know, it'd be nice to end on a, a positive and upbeat note. Uh, so, Alec, what do you what do you see? for Aotearoa New Zealand in the next five to 10 years? Do you think you're going to be on that zero carbon path? And, and what does life look like post-pandemic and yeah. you know, on that road to, to a zero carbon world? I, I think um, uh, what, 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 what gives me heart is the fact that um, we, know, we, we, we know the challenge that faces us. And that was a big part of what we wanted to get out to more and more people. So not just within the sustainability professional group but to, to communities broadly and for me i feel like tamiki mikado auckland i feel like aotearoa broadly we kind of get that we actually need to make some big transitions the really positive stuff is to go well what we've seen over the four the, the, the lockdowns that we had was actually if you do do things differently you know birds were coming back into the city people were seeing like uh, kereru wood pigeons all kinds of um wildlife that we hadn't seen or we were noticing it and that was fantastic. And people were out on the streets. They were riding around. They were engaging with their neighbours. They were engaging with their families. And, and I guess I'm biased having worked in the council, but that is the heart of what we need to we need to see. And to Martin's point, we need to remember the heart of community, um, social connection, social cohesion, and the benefits we get from our neighbours. I feel like we've gone through a process, or we have been going through a process where we were increasingly isolated from each other, we were carrying on doing our own thing. Um, but if there is one thing that I, I feel like we will hopefully come out of this is that greater sense of actually, I wanna get to know my neighbor. I wanna get to know the people down the street. I wanna get to know the shops down the road because actually that's where I'm gonna get most engagement, most, most interaction. And actually having not had that for so long, that's what I really crave. And I feel like that will be the thing that we need to remember as we go through as, as the normal tries to pull us back, we need to we need to remember what the abnormal in inverted commas, but what the the, the other could be if we remember that community sense and that connection sense. Alec, thanks so much, and Martin, the same question to you. Do you think that we will be well on that path to a sustainable and equitable future in five to ten years? Yeah, I, I genuinely believe that we will be. I think. What's been slightly surprising and encouraging is that um, throughout this whole um, period, um, the notion of having a better understanding of environment and the role of the green economy in helping to pull the whole of the economy and, and you know that whole green industrial revolution being a core part of how we build back better. Um, and it's not just the likes of us on this call who are kind of advocating that. But this is coming from central government, mainstream economic um, elements, which is, you know, hugely important that it's not, you know, it's not environment or the economy, but actually putting sustainability at the heart of the economic model um, 
does provide that basis for you know jobs and all of that. And building on Alex's point, I, you know, I think the the um, the community aspects and people's ability and, and, and sense of place um, and having more connection to a sense of place and, and community um, it has also been really powerful. And when you have that with the kind of the behavior change, partly be forced, um, but also that does show that people can adapt to new circumstances incredibly quickly. I think when you put all of that together, then yes, we can create a net zero future. Alec and Martin, uh, from breakfast to dinner and everything in between. <laughs> go, go and in, please do go and enjoy your respective meals. And it's been an absolute delight to talk to, to both of you. And uh, for our, I couldn't have thought of two better speakers for our inaugural uh, IEMA podcast. Thanks so much for sharing your thoughts. Uh, thanks to everybody for listening and uh, look forward to speaking to you next time here from the IEMA podcast. Thank you. <laughs>